I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Walker here and I am on with Catherine Greer Limpo. Thank you, Catherine, for coming back on with us today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me so much. (laughs) Yes, listeners, this is a regular series. You know how I like to do my series. So this is our Women Who Lead series and it's long time needed. We did our first show uh, last week. It was fantastic. We got a phenomenal response from it. So obviously it's topics that women are starving for. Um, And we're going to talk about something today and give some, you know, personal examples because we know how y'all love our stories, but we're going to talk about coattailing the good, the bad, and the ugly of what that is. So um, Catherine, you provided me with this great list of topics that we can talk about, you know, for the next year. (laughs) And this was on that list. And I just told you before we started recording, oh, that one really, yeah, (laughs) coattailing. So tell me and our listeners, you know, what what influenced you to put that on the list and also, you know, that there are some good things about it too. Yeah. So um the the list is quite long, you're right. And as I was mentioning before we started recording, I don't consider it to be exhaustive. Um No, not this, at all. This, oh my god, yeah, it's this, wonderful. Yeah, it could could potentially go on and on, but <laughs> the topic <laughs> The topic that we did settle on for today is coattailing and kind of the the good, the bad, and the ugly of of coattailing. So when we say coattailing, um, think of grabbing onto someone else and riding along. So if there's a, a wedding dress, as an example, it's standing on the train and letting someone else in front doing the work, similar to, you know, same illustration with a coat. It's sitting on the coattails of someone else and kind of waiting for them to do the work as you go along. And in the context of leadership in a professional environment and and how that happens, um, and when I describe the scale of good, bad, and ugly, um, I think that um, it depends on your role in the coattailing as to how you see it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I think you would probably agree. So, um, you know, when we're talking about that sort of polarity, I think that we can talk about, you know, how it feels, but we can also talk about the experience of um, when we recognized we were coattailers ourselves. Mm. Oh, yeah. Let's let's do some. Let's. <laughs> that's what I like about this too. I I want to talk about the times that I realized I was doing things on my way to leadership or during leadership that weren't so hot, a fess up thing, not to bash myself, but more like, listen, that's what this whole show is about is human nature, human beings being human beings. And I am so okay, like really okay with um, the stuff that I did that was really crappy. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Be, you know, it was I'm part of my human. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's part of your human experience. I don't, I think the, the path to loving yourself and accepting yourself is also being able to look back at those things and go, and first of all, acknowledge that you did them. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, own up to it. And if you don't know the person anymore, you don't, you, you know, it's hard to find someone to apologize. And that isn't always necessary. You can kind of do an apology in your own head about it. But to be able to love yourself still, because man, did I spend years shaming myself for every infraction, you know, that I, um, that I thought I did. And, uh, and I know where I got that from, but now I'm just like, okay, yeah, that was not really, I was not at my, quite my best at that time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and things are quite different now. Um, so yeah, we're, we're listeners, we're going to talk about the things that we've experienced and done ourselves that weren't so hot, even in the coattailing department. <laughs> Yes. And at the risk that somebody listening might actually remember. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Sorry, whoever you are. You gotta yeah. tell the truth. Sorry about that. Right. <laughs> but uh, you, you know, go first. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. really. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. I have to think back too on when, uh, well, first of all, let's talk about this. I want to Google. So listeners, you're going to hear me clicking around because I didn't do this. Uh, I didn't do this ahead of time, but I'm going to Google what coattailing, like the definition of it, you know? Uh, yeah. Let's get that Wikipedia view. And while you're doing that, I'm going to just sort of illustrate a, a polarity here. So if we have good and bad, um, I, I think in some cases we wouldn't call the things that fall under good necessarily coattailing because coattailing does have kind of a bad connotation. Right. Like you're trying to get somebody to do something for you. Um, however, I do think that we have um, methods or mechanisms to exercise coattailing-ish behavior um, hmm that works more in a, in a modeling or example fashion, as opposed to, you know, just allowing somebody to take advantage of us. So as an example, in the workplace, we might take a younger employee or a more junior employee uh, under our wing to mentor them or to show them examples of good behavior or communication when we find that maybe they've stepped into a situation where they don't understand the culture or they don't understand the type of communication that's most effective. So in that way, it's almost deliberately creating sort of a coattailing relationship where you're stepping back and saying, hey, I, I understand what you're trying to do, but here might be a better way to go about it. And then on the flip side of it, coattailing uh, on, the, on the bad extreme is literally trying to take advantage of the experiences or successes of others for your benefit. Typically, yeah. I would think in a passive aggressive way. So that, let's put that forward as my guess. So <laughs> yeah, and and the the definition of it and I've I've been looking at a few, it's not actually there's not a bad definition of it. It's uh brown nosing definitely is meant to be a bad thing that you say to someone that they're doing and everybody knows what brown nosing means but coattails really doesn't ha doesn't have a bad connotation to it but it in our society it's not looked at in a great way so the actual definition is the influence or pulling power of a popular movement or person so hmm it that in itself the word coattail it's the writing of it and for me what i've had happen and i think a lot of women in leadership have had happen is someone when it's in the not good category when someone doesn't want to do the hard work or is too immature or narcissistic or whatever the reason is to get where you've gotten and so they want to, uh, you know, take the express train to success by riding on your successful coattails. And that that's not good because they're not going to actually 
I mean, I say this with people all the time when they, like just last week, I was interviewing two wonderful young men and they were asking me, they were picking my brain about for their podcast about my network and, and they were very sweet. And, you know, they, they were like, well, God, you just make it look so easy, just effortless conversation. And I said, well, guys, I've done over a thousand shows and I have been speaking publicly and a consultant. So I've had to talk my whole career. I have used my communication skills to get me out of like life and death situations. And I've had to, and I've used it to do interviews with people that are, have a way higher IQ than I do, much more advanced, you know, degrees and so on. And I'm able to keep up and, but it's only out of the 10,000 hours I've put in to get good at it. So I make it look easy to some people. Some people could think I'm a horrible interviewer, but, um, but because <laughs> of all of these years of work and I have had people that have come in and been like, Oh, they don't have the ability to understand that you actually, that there are all these years that come with it. And so they just want to, jump on with me and in three months, boom, they're going to, you know, have all the success that's taken me this long to get there. Um, That's coattailing in a not good way. So Mm -hmm. what about you you, experiences you've had? And I'll I'll be more specific later, but what are your thoughts on that, Catherine? Well, I kind of have a a sweet story from um, my early (laughs) twenties. And I, I went to art school, actually, Um, my undergraduate degree is a BFA. And one summer, a good friend of mine and I um, put together a summer art program for kids, it was called backyard art. And out of that very, very fun thing that we did came a little boy who really wanted to learn how to draw in a much more technical way. And so I agreed with his mom that I would give him a couple private drawing lessons, um, you know, shading and spheres and and whatnot. (laughs) And he came over to my house one evening and we were sitting talking about drawing. And I think that we were working on, you know, a sphere as a shape and trying to understand shadow and whatnot. And he put his pencil down and looked at me and said, I just want to be able to draw like you. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it was very sweet (laughs) and it was very innocent and genuine, but he didn't want to do the work. You know, he just wanted to draw like I could. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I have a story that kind of goes to the flip side as well, where I exhibited sort of, uh, ugly behavior around coattailing and it, it was at Ford. And I think that it started from a very innocent place. And I realized probably after six months what I was doing. Um, mm-hmm. and I was putting this poor woman in a, in a not great situation anyway. And that was, um, there were personnel development committees And I had a friend who was on this personnel development committee that was responsible for rotating people through their career and um, making sure that they had good, robust development experiences throughout the function. And a good friend of mine was on the personnel development committee that was responsible for the salary level that I was at. Mm -hmm. And so really asking her about that PDC was not appropriate. It was you know, asking about me and my peers and the discussion that higher leadership levels were having around us. And I went out to lunch with her fairly regularly. Um, And I noticed after a while that the frequency of our lunches were dropping off and Hmm. uh, we didn't have as much time to, to meet and whatnot. And I finally realized that when we did meet, I was drilling her about what was going on at PDC. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, what kind of a friend am I? You know, I've kind of shifted the context of our, of our friendship from, you know, one of where we talk about multiple things. We talk about personal stuff and we talk about, you know, things going on at work 
to this very focus-driven discussion about the information being discussed at this personnel development committee where I was being discussed. And mm. yeah, I, I think back on that now. Uh, and it's definitely one of my cringeworthy moments, not the <laughs> discussions themselves, because we still had nice lunches and, you know, we talked about other things also. Um, but just recognizing the fact that I was bringing this up over and over again to try and get information from someone who knew something that I didn't. There right. was really no benefit in me knowing the information. I just wanted to know what it was because I knew it was about me. And at mm. the end of the day, it was none of my business, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that just struck me with, um, I had a situation and it, I always remember it because obviously I didn't feel good about it. Um, I was working at a dental practice and uh I was their financial manager and I helped them go. I mean, I was part of a team of people, believe me, it was not all just me, um, that when I started with them, they were in this tiny little dental office that was, you know, in a shopping mall and whatever. And then part of um, us working with this outside consulting firm that helped dental practices. And this is when I'm in like my I'm early twenties. Okay. So <laughs> part of the, the I learned all this stuff from this practice management company that came in that, you know, teaches you how to run a successful dental practice, nothing to do with teeth cleaning or whatever, just more about the business side of things. And I just lapped it up and I loved it. And I was part of the team with this dental practice that moved into, you know, like a $2 million practice, which in this small little town I was living in, that was a big deal. We went from this yeah. dirty little shopping center into this gorgeous, I mean, state of the art, absolutely gorgeous practice. And I was part of what helped make that happen. And um, there was so much baloney in that office, just lots of stuff going on. I was 24, 25 or whatever. And um, I remember that at a certain point, I just could not keep up with the job. I was very depressed. I was uh, raising my son by myself and I'm not giving excuses. Just that was my situation. And I wasn't meeting the bonuses anymore. Like I just wasn't able to, the bonuses that we calculated every day where people got cash just weren't happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I didn't know how to figure out how to get us out of that loop. The collections weren't going well. And later I figured out, oh, well, the strategies by this practice management company were baloney. Mm -hmm. They were good at getting a bunch of cat, like a Ponzi scheme, get a bunch of cash in right away. And that, but these, but things over time were going to, you know, fail. And mm -hmm. I just, I wasn't wise enough, skilled enough, whatever to know that. And what I did that I did not like in that situation is the consulting company, I was like, I want to work for them. I want to mm -hmm. do what they do. And they broke protocol and hired me from their best client and moved me and offered me a big position with them. And I left that office in not a good financial place. I just was like, oh, okay, good. I don't have to figure this out. I'm just going to dump it and go off. Mm. And I really felt horrible about that because I felt like I was just being a user and not appreciative of what this man, you know, that this dentist was you know, so good as an employer. And he was so gracious about it with me. He was like, good for you. I'm so happy for you that I'm not upset at all. And they hired a couple other people and those people were able to do the job that I couldn't do. And they did a great job and got them back on track. And I was accused of stealing and embezzling and whatever later by titter tattering gossip, which of course was not true. I just didn't do the job well. I couldn't understand it. And then I quickly saw the gold star and I jumped on that. And I always felt like, oh, that was, that was kind of crappy. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I just, even though anybody would have said, no, you, you saw opportunity and you just took it good for you. I personally did not feel good about doing that. You know, I just, I really didn't. And that, that didn't settle right with me for many years. And I finally just sort of reconciled myself with it. But yeah. Yeah. 
You know, I, I think that it's so important for us to remember that, you know, regardless, and this is probably a very cliche thing to say, but we leave a wake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes we spend a lot of time thinking about those wakes that we leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a... Uh, isn't it interesting? Yeah, because I also hated the female dentist that was in there and I was part of the, oh, she made it difficult to like her, but but 10 years past the incident, I, or the, the time that I was there, I was able to go, at, as I had my own company at, for the first time a few years later and was responsible for employees and so on, I was able to look back and go, oh my gosh, she was so being railroaded. No wonder she was behaving constantly in defense mode. She mm. was being treated like crap. He, w- he would give male dentists, you know, their own office and their, their own this and their own that. And he relegated her to a closet and she had the same degree as anyone else. And, but I was part of the, oh, she's awful team. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to go back later and be and see that she had opened her own practice and be like, well, good for her, you know, mm-hmm. and I really didn't know at the time to um, be able to see what she was having to deal with and that she the fact that she behaved as measured as she did in that kind of a situation was pretty darn fantastic. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I didn't see it at the time. I was part of the little witch witch crew that was like, yeah, she's awful, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. That's right. Riding that wave. (laughs) Yep. Yep. The things you learn later, you know, where you're like, oh boy. Yeah. I see how I participated in that. That was not good. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You know, I can think about um, flip sides to that story as well, though. Um, Mm. And in particular, more so in informal ways than in you know, a formal workplace sort of setting. And again, being able to step back, you know, maybe a year or even years later and look at how the the wake that was initially created impacted and continues to impact people today. So similar to the the story that you just told, you know, you went on to do something else, maybe not in the way that in retrospect, you would have handled it today if you had had the base of experience. And the practice that you left went on to, you know, evolve into a different form. People left, Mm -hmm. people came, et cetera. I I have a similar story with running is just as an example. I told you before that I'm a, I'm a runner. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been running for years and years and I have a lovely friend who is still a, a good dear friend of mine today who I started running with, um, over 30 years ago now. Wow. Um, but I've had the, it, 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 and I'm not a fantastic runner. I have a shirt that says world's okayest runner. And that's probably <laughs> the most accurate description of me. You know what I call it? <laughs> I yog. Okay. So yeah, I yawn yeah, while odd. jogging. That's about as fast oh, as awesome. I run. <laughs> yog. That's great. I love anyway, it. Anyway, keep going. Um, <laughs> but I've had the opportunity to talk about running over the course of 30 years in, in good contexts and bad contexts, you know, whether it's, you know, this is great, you should do it, or, oh, I'm so glad you're doing it, or, oh my God, I hate this, I, I have to go for a run when I get home, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but even within that, there's, there's a wake, there's mentoring, there's influence, and there are people that I'm friends on Facebook with and that I talk to occasionally who started running 25 years ago because of a conversation that we had and maybe not directly attributed only to that conversation, but there was something about our interaction that encouraged them to, to go and try it themselves. And if you look at the cumulative wake that we create Mm. over the years, it's really quite amazing. I can think of probably 10 people who either have run over the course of the last 30 years or still are running, uh, generally event-based, um, uh, again, where when I met them in the past, they were not runners. 
And we had some conversation about running. Oh, girl, and if you help me get over <laughs> my thing and I become a runner, I am going to pay for you and me to go to Tahiti. And I am not. You can bank on that. Okay. We'll find a, we'll find a marathon somewhere <laughs> in an island. Over the Jamaican marathon or something. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, you know, again. Saying, yeah. You know, not the, not the greatest runner in the world, but I just love, you know, knowing that, you know, this, this person now finished their first half marathon and they're so proud of themselves. And when I met them, they, they didn't run because that oh, was my wow. story once too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. We, I don't, I think part of the issue and what I, what I get out of hearing what you're saying, and I can see this as a gotcha bit. Oh, I mean a huge, like it's more than a gotcha with me is that I don't, I focus so much on my flaws and some of them aren't even freaking flaws. Yeah. And I spend so much time like working, working. I'm totally a workaholic, like hands down work saved my ass so much. I mean, that's, you know, it just was the place where I got my healthy self-esteem and uh, distractors from dealing with trauma and blah, 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 blah. But I, I'm so like, Okay, here's a good example. I went to a um, a horse clinic uh, where you work with horses and a mental health professional and you don't ride horses, you just work with them and do exercises. And I went into it like I go into everything. Okay, we're gonna get in here and we're gonna figure out other new things that are wrong with me. These horses are gonna let me know where I am failing as a leader and they're gonna help me dig in and figure out you know, how I need to be better. Like that's like my operating system is from a place of, there's a lot of stuff wrong with me, let's figure it out mm -hmm. and let's be better. Mm -hmm. And I left that session with, because that's not what horses do. They show you what's right with you. <laughs> uh, I and I that. left that session going, oh, what just happened? I mean, <laughs> there's good things about what? And it, it's not so much that that's a bad thing to analyze yourself and see where you need to, you know, change your behavior and whatever. But, it, but if you live by that all the time, you never get those moments like you're talking about where you can look back and see that you did leave a good influence in places. You did do good things for people. I don't even do this with this show. And I know because we get slammed with emails and texts and whatever saying thank you for sharing and whatever. And that doesn't like even, I love it. I love hearing those things, but it, it doesn't reach me at a, I don't allow it to reach me at a place where I um, allow myself to feel good about that which is my problem, something I need to work on. Again, you know, here I am, another thing I need to work on. But I think when you're <laughs> in a leadership position, that can be, I don't know, we're told that's your ego if you're happy about your successes or you're maybe one of the reasons you are successful is because you've been told your whole life that you're never going to amount to anything. And so you fought against that, mm -hmm. but you don't, but if you don't ever stop back and look over to your, over your shoulder and see the good that you've done, that's not so good either. That that's very true. However, you know, to your earlier point, think about um, the dialogue and uh, what voices in our head telling us, <laughs> you know, what we've done and creating some sort of a judgment around it. So I, I think it's really natural for us to take that wherever we go. Horses are a great illustration of reminding us to highlight or think about what's good in ourselves. I, I love the I love the horse example. But you know, think about that even in the in the context of business. To show up with a balanced view hmm. is probably what's most expected. You know, not to come in too enthusiastic and not to come in too critical. But at the same time, uh, you know, I can't help but wonder what would happen if we did show up with a little too much enthusiasm once in a while. You know, right. we might find that if we look back uh, over time, you know, 10 years from now, that maybe there were more examples of positive influence than things that went wrong. 
Yeah. Yeah. And allowing yourself to see that. I don't know. That's interesting. That's what we will continue to examine, Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. You know, it is okay for people to look at you and to see your success and your leadership qualities. Maybe they're seeing stuff in you that you won't even acknowledge yourself that are good things. And they want to be around you. They want to learn from you. They want to be on your team. Um, because you're a great person to learn from. And, and that could be called writing your coattails. But it's, again, that word isn't a bad word. It, it really isn't. If you look at the definition of it that I read earlier, it's not a bad word. That's okay. Because when really good people, really self-aware people do that, they're going to do their own work. And they're damn smart that they pick people that know more, have experienced more, what have you, to help them on their journey. I mean, that's a smart move on their part. That's, you know, good examples. Let's talk about a couple, you know, good examples that you've experienced, Catherine, in that space where you know someone is is riding your coattails, but but it was a good move on their part and it was good for you and for them. Uh. You know, I think one of the most significant examples was probably um, just putting together global teams and the experience in putting together the the right mix of the global team. And <laughs> Kristen, we're gonna have to edit this out. My cat just jumped in my lap. <laughs> He's purring so loud. He's all I can hear. <laughs> I can't hear it. My dog's been snoring and I know you haven't like, heard it. We are not purring, editing my God. this. <laughs> just kicked him off of my lap. Um, <laughs> I, I heard nothing. So you're good. Okay. All right. Anyway, he's gone. So I, I think it's neat that when um, a team starts to become successful in achieving a goal, uh, people naturally flock to it and want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that, when we're not as organized and we don't have as pointed a focus within the context of a team, people lose interest. You know, they tend to not attend the meeting or they tend to get too busy to follow through with what they were supposed to do. Coattailing in the context of a team, I I think also starts to look at spheres of influence and how we deal with those spheres of influence. And uh, it may sound I'm sound like I'm a little off to- topic, but I actually am working toward a point. <laughs> and, and, and that is that, you know, with the definition of coattailing that you described earlier. So it, it's really, you know, how how awake generates an effect when in a past role, we started measuring team effectiveness in a certain way that was no longer transactional. So uh, in a previous role, the purchasing group was measured in effectiveness by how many PO lines they were able to process, which really boiled them down to a very, very binary group. They either had done it or they had not done it. Right. And my boss at the time and I decided that we were going to shift the way um, the supply chain effectiveness was measured. And we changed it to savings 
and contribution of savings to specific projects as opposed to how quickly the goods within the project were purchased. And the more that we started looking at this and the more that we spread the study out amongst the divisions, the more the supply chain team started to see their value Mm. in what we were trying to do. We were trying to lift the emphasis of their work off of pairs of hands and create a greater emphasis on their thought process and the way that they made decisions. And when it was spun differently to the divisions, all of a sudden we had the supply chain hearts and minds, so to speak, in the divisions completely on board with what it was we were trying to do. Whereas when we went out and just said that we were trying to change the way we were measuring their effectiveness, we got a great deal of resistance because they didn't want us looking at them as to whether they were doing a good job or not. And at the end of the day, that wasn't how we decided to measure them anyway. But the point within this being that once they figured out that we wanted to look more carefully and measure their effectiveness on their efforts and the decisions that they were making and the way that they executed their work, all of a sudden we had lots of ideas as to how to measure that um, because everybody wanted a voice and a vote as to how that was going to be put together. So I also think that you know how we kind of draw folks in to uh, developing a passion around what we're trying to do can also be you know a way coattailing manifests itself in a good way. Mm. I have looked at okay, uh, there's a podcaster on my network, and I don't even want to say which gender, but it's all positive stuff. Um, this person has come in and right out of the gate copied every single way that I have done things to be successful with their own unique flair. Okay. They're, they're their own person, obviously. And they've been able to do the the many of the things that I do in order to have sponsors and have, you know, do some of the things I do that, that are shocking to other podcasters and also shocking to other podcast networks and also podcast companies because the revenue that I'm able to generate from sponsors of my show is not based on the industry standard at all. And it's based on my personal relationships with organizations and that we do above and beyond what other organ, you know, podcasters and so on do. And this person came in, copied everything I do, added their own flair and bing, right out of the gate, they've been successful. That is coattailing in a great way all day long. I laud this person. You're fantastic. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't, you don't have to follow everything I did. If you figure out a quicker, faster, better, more meaningful way to do something, you know, don't feel like you have to, you're, you're going to mess up if you don't follow my edict on everything. Cause it's not about that. Show me ways that you've done it better than I did. That is totally cool. Coattailing. Mm-hmm. What, and another example of that is, let's say someone coming on and they're really not about advocacy at all. They're there to do a commercial about themselves and they bash other people in, on the, you know, in the environment, they undermine, they feel that they're superior. They feel like they're not getting enough attention. And anytime you try to get them to this level of success that has worked for other people, they, you know, don't follow what you say because they've got their own self-sabotage issues, but they want to stay connected because of what I've built and the reputation that it has. Yes, because there's a clear benefit for them in doing so. And um, I I think you've just created a, a, a great contrast in that there's a difference between coattailing uh, in the context of emulating, 
Yes. Know, look, looking at somebody and going, wow, I really love what they're doing. And I want to, I want to see if I can't do some of that so that I can generate the same type of success yep. versus, versus copying, right. Or yes. opportunism, taking advantage of others. Opportunism, exactly. Um, or exactly. even coming in and trying to take over or take credit. And, you know, taking credit, I think can even be examined in the inverse in that, you know, as a leader of a team, as an example, there's a big difference in leading a team where you take credit for what the team has done <laughs> versus highlighting the successes of the team. Yeah. Um, and it it's two completely different ways of approaching leadership. Yeah. One but is again, a narcissistic way and one is... <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, when when's a leader, when's a manager, so to speak. Right. Yeah, I just read a wonderful article by Dr. Jonas Webb. I don't know if you heard the show that I did with her, but she writes all about CEN, childhood emotional neglect. Mm. And I read this last night, and I love I love that we're doing this, Catherine. I just I want to. I mean, I know I've said that privately, but I I love it because you're. You showed up at the perfect time. I need to step into the fact that I am a leader, and you know I've said that on another show. Sorry, listeners, you've already heard that, but I'm having a moment. I'm having a moment here, so have it with me. Um, it's part of that acknowledgement of yourself and what you do. And what I thought was interesting when I was reading this article was it was about people who are externalizers and people who are internalizers and it was in the layer uh, the layering of blame and it could be looked at like an empath versus a narcissist mm -hmm. so it's people who who everything is everyone else's fault and then people who everything is their fault neither is healthy and those people tend to be drawn to each other when they're not healthy mm -hmm. um, because you're a perfect meal for someone who's narcissistic. If you'll take the blame for everything, that's what they're looking for. <laughs> right. Right. But in, in terms of a leadership and a coattailing thing, what I thought was interesting when I was looking about that and thinking about us talking this morning, I was like, Hmm, okay. So I do look for how gracious someone is um, mm -hmm. about other people who have helped them get to where they are how gracious are they even to people who have hurt them, but yes. they rose above that to, and, and learned good tools to not have that happen again. And I really respect graciousness and humility and I try to practice it. I don't always win at that, but the coattailing part for me, I used to get very angry about it. Mm -hmm. Like, how dare you? You know, how dare you? You don't, you're not allowed to use my hard work to advance yourself. Who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. And I'm okay that I went through that stage. And now I'm okay with being in a place where I'm like, okay, that was kind of haughty and, <laughs> <laughs> and egotistical in its own right. And yeah, I had reason to be upset, but nobody took anything from me. That's the interesting thing. People that do that and behave that way, they don't really get anywhere right? in the long run. And so yeah. you don't need to be haughty and how dare you and whatever, unless you're needing to learn how to stand up for yourself and that's a stage in that progression. But the evolvement out of that is to not feel that way anymore, to, to realize, because I've got a couple people right now where I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing that's too bad. It's not going to work out. It's not going to work out for them, but I'm yeah. not angry. I'm not angry at them anymore. And a year ago I would have been like, how dare you? And that was my ego. I had to admit that was my ego coming into play. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, <laughs> I was just looking at our list and the next topic down from coattailing is grace. <laughs> See, it magically happens the way it's I know. supposed to. <laughs> See, it's a waterfall. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, not only um, grace extended to other people, but I think grace extended to ourselves, right? Yes, thank so you. So when, yeah. when we find that, you know, folks have been egregious 
to us in one way or another, how quickly can we get to that point of grace and, you know, make that mental checklist off to the side that says, you know, these qualities about this person I really, really like and admire, and I want to try and emulate that in my own leadership style. But here are some of the opportunities that I think they have that I'd really like to try and avoid duplicating in myself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's the external grace, right? But then the internal grace happens when we say, okay, this is a new mistake and here's how I'm going to approach it next time. Or, oh my gosh, I made that mistake again. What can I possibly do to reflect and recognize it when I see it the next time? Yeah, and it doesn't mean, I know it doesn't mean this for you either, it doesn't mean that we get to this place where we walk around on a cloud and we're like, just everything is peaceful and lovely. Hell no. no. Maybe when I die. (laughs) When I I have taken my last breath, I'll have this. But not not right now. So I don't want anyone to think we're telling you, don't be angry. No, hell no. Be angry. Be ticked. Think about it. I have a couple days last week where I was like, oh, and it it interrupted my self-care. And that's on me. It's not someone else's fault. But it did disrupt, you know, me doing the stuff I like to do every day to take care of myself because I, I was working through this process and allowing myself to be angry. And then I was like, and people were saying, you need to fire and you need to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, no, I want to do this one differently this time. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to do that because I've hurt people's feelings. I really have hurt people's feelings. you know, many, many people in the situation with me would be like, well, they deserved it because boy, were they hurting you, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. That's not the point. I don't, yes. Were they hurting me and being awful and whatever? Yeah. Yeah, they were, but I don't want to be the person that then goes back and lashes out and hurts someone else, regardless of their horrible behavior. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think the thing we talk about, you know, with grace and with the coattailing thing and noticing, is this going in a good way? Or is this somebody that's just trying to use me um, where you can look at it and go, how am I going to move out of this situation? If it's an unhealthy situation and do it differently this time so that I don't feel bad about how I behaved, regardless of how awful they may be being, I don't, I want to make a choice to be proud of how I've handled it in a much mature way. Yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, making a choice as to what to do with that anger, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to handle it with grace or not. And uh, yeah, I still struggle with that. Um, I have a, a living, breathing example where um, I have a relationship in my life I don't handle with the utmost grace and I aspire <laughs> to at some point. <laughs> but today I'm gonna when you're ready <laughs> when I'm ready, but today I'm gonna forgive myself for not being as graceful in every interaction with that individual as as perhaps I should. Um, but you know if we translate that into the workplace, mm-hmm. even think about um, you know getting back to coattailing and the wake effect, Um, The response we get from those around us when we approach our anger with grace as opposed to um, with a reactive sort of, um, uh, you know, outburst or um, display and what happens on the other side of that. So if we take our anger with grace to a professional setting Um, And we're able to talk about it in a calm voice and Mm -hmm. speak to it with a with a resolution sort of spirit. Um, The reaction is much different than if we go in defensive and and ready to fight. Um, The likelihood of folks forgetting about our anger that's dealt with in grace is much, much higher than folks forgetting about our anger that's dealt with from a defensive standpoint, because it's guaranteed that that wake will last a lot longer and more boats will be rocked. (laughs) 
Yeah. What do you think about, okay, let me ask you this. I know we, we, we started late, so we're still okay with time, but um, have you ever had in your career people tell you, oh, well, they're not going to do anything to you because they're afraid of you? Unfortunately, yes. Oh my gosh. And I just, I hate that. Um, did you ever I, though, let's, let's, I mean, may, and if you haven't, that's fine. But did you ever at some point feel like that felt powerful? Um, I, I would, I would say yes. When there was a certain effect I was trying to generate, mm -hmm. um, so in my role today, I deal with a lot of suppliers and, you know, making suppliers afraid of me is not, is not a, a tactic. Right. No, <laughs> it, it's not. However, um, <laughs> I, I do speak German, not, not well, but conversationally. Um, oh, and you're going it, to Germany with me. Fabulous. I have my yes. new German. Oh, I would absolutely it. love to do that. It's, it's kind of my <laughs> second home. Um, but I did not, uh, first of all, I, I worked for a company where I had um, five divisions in Germany that I was responsible for operationally. And when I first started that role, the suppliers did not know that I spoke German. So I would go and I would meet with my work groups. We would generally speak English. We would speak English when the suppliers came in because they thought that was their only language choice. And then they would have sidebars in German. And a few times they were saying things about me, not in a derogatory way, but, you know, just, oh, this is an unusual person or, you know, I'm glad to be able to talk to her or in some cases, something slightly less flattering, but that's okay. <laughs> I can handle it. Um, <laughs> but um, finally, after I, I think the first couple meetings with some of my more significant suppliers, I, I did speak German with them and I let them know that I spoke German and all of a sudden the tenor changed and I could tell that folks were going back in their minds trying to figure out if they had said anything about me in front of me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I think that in that instance, it was more fear around what information I had that they weren't aware that I had and what I was going to do with it as opposed to actually being afraid of me per se, but that was pretty funny. I have to say, Just, <laughs> well, I, de I definitely, it was more having the upper hand in the situation yes, than it was the upper hand. will be afraid yeah. of me. I've definitely been in, in situations where the person was afraid of my influence, uh, what I could say that might derail their career. Um, mm. what my, because I'm surrounded by so many people that, uh, well, just because I'm surrounded by so many people um, mm -hmm. that I have good influence over and they have good influence over me, that they were concerned that, oh, crap, I have done something really bad. And she, if I, I better back off or she could really go after me or whatever, which I I've only done that twice in a big way and it was this over sexual harassment. So good mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. um, but other, you know, other people have, have expressed that as well or expressed it to other people. Mm -hmm. And I, maybe when I was younger, that would have made me feel a little powerful uh, because I had so little power, mm -hmm. but as I've gotten older, I don't like that. I don't want to instill fear in people. I don't think that that's in any way complimentary. No, I think you get more done when people aren't afraid of you. And if you're seen yeah. as approachable and someone uh, with whom it'd be easy to have even a personal relationship with, I'm very conscious when I go places of not using my title when I introduce myself. Right. I generally introduce myself as a member of the supply chain team for the company that I work for mm -hmm. um, because I don't want to lead with my title. Right. I want to lead with who I am 
And when I do sense, you know, kind of nervousness or trepidation or a sense of hold back in people within my organization um, that I meet with, and I, I'm not saying, you know, I'm so high up on the ladder that people are trembling in their boots when I come in the <laughs> in the room. That's certainly not the case at all. But I want to I want to be there to help. I want to be there to assist. I want to know what I can do to help you be successful. And so if that's the wake that I need to create that, you know, somehow you can ride, then let's figure out how to do that. I don't, Mm -hmm. I can't do that. However, if I start from a place of intimidation or fear, yeah, I don't um, think we I don't think either you or I ever start out that way. I mm-hmm. just think that some people walk into experiences with other people with their own perceptions about their influence or their power or what have oh, you. Yes. And it's coming from their own immaturity that then they become afraid of you because they put you on some kind of pedestal or you know whatever and then they behave deplorably and then they fear your wrath. Mm-hmm. Be, but mm-hmm. they started out with that flawed perception of you in the first place. So that's where I found that interesting. Um, like, well, don't mess with somebody said, don't mess with Kristen. This was a couple of years ago because, you know, she's wonderful. But if you try to use her or you try to, you know, take advantage of her, she will n- not tolerate that behavior. And I thought it was really interesting because when it was a woman saying it, she said it that way. And it was a couple, a couple of guys that they were trying to like take over my company mm-hmm. and they were being horrible, horrible people, be horrible behavior. And their way was, well, she'll just cut you down. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting because I'm a woman and you have to put it that way. Whereas you just talked about some other dude that's in a leadership position that intimidates you and yet you see him as this amazing rock in business. But me in the same space, being a woman, I'm going to cut you and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Well, it does really depend on how it's framed, (laughs) doesn't it? Yeah. Or, um, you know, if if someone speaks on your behalf and kind of touts you as, you know, well, you know, she's, she's strong, but she's fair and she's not going to take any crap from you. That's quite different than, you know, she's going to come in here and hit you with a hammer, you know, (laughs) and I'd rather be portrayed as the, as the last, yeah, Yeah. the former, right? Yeah. And and that is, you know, strong, but fair. I aspire to that. Um, and, and I would think that that's a much more, uh, effective way to be portrayed. I have been portrayed in the other way though, where uh, in, again, going back to, you know, meetings with suppliers where someone might, you know, sort of uh, pretend that they're talking on my behalf. Well, she's not going to be happy with that. And Mm, she's going to be really angry. And I've heard it as a recap of the conversation and me just looking at the person uh, relaying this to me going, but I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no. times I've been like, I, what? I wouldn't sound like that. I wouldn't exactly. say that, you know? Yep. Here's, here's what I would do. <laughs> oh yeah. I had someone working for me for a while that I, I, I went back and read their emails after we parted ways. And I was like, Oh my God, they're a bully. Mm-hmm. And they were making me out to be a bully Um, in the way that they were approaching people for my business Mm -hmm. and well, she's the CEO and you better not blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, 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 honey, that is what you, you were using me to be a bully yourself, which is Mm -hmm. really cowardly. If you're going to be a bully, just be a bully and work on that issue. Don't be even more of a coward and try to make me a bully for you. Right. Or to use me as a bully to get what you want when I have no part in this conversation and would never take part. So that's the coattailing thing, too, that people can do that's really unhealthy is that, like you said, speaking on your behalf and they're descriptors of you. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with you. Yes. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, my my folks um, would reaffirm that uh, over and over again, one of my pet peeves is I, I don't like being misquoted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that, yeah, there's huge risk in, in misquoting people. But, you know, I think, uh, again, just going back to the point, I think there's so much uh, more power in exercising grace in the way yes. that we lead as opposed to, you know, trying to strong arm or, or bully. I think that there's um, just invaluable um, influence available in diplomacy. And Absolutely. Yeah. And, approach I, and teach that. Absolutely. So I'd say to our listeners, because we do have to wrap this up, but I, I, I would say this piece, it's not where I don't think you or I are saying that, you know, you, what am I trying to say? You as a leader, other people are going to present their version of you mm-hmm. to those that are in their sphere of influence. And some of those same people might be in your sphere of influence. So it's not, you do have to take an extra step and be mindful of who it is that is speaking on your behalf because they're on your team, they're whatever, because um, of their own perceptions, their own language, their own insecurities, what place they're at in their life, they may be misrepresenting your leadership to other people. Um, And it it really doesn't have anything to do with you. And uh, they may feel a sense of power at being on your coattails and then using that to influence people to do things. And you don't even know what's going on, but as a leader, regardless, you are going to be held accountable for their behavior. So you do have to pay more attention to, okay, not just how you're representing yourself and how you're representing yourself in front of others, but also knowing and making very clear to your team how they should be representing you. Right. Yeah. Or how they should be representing themselves, you know? Yes, exactly. How they, how they take the, the direction and the information that's been given to them and go forward and present it in the way that's going to be the most effective. Um, and I think at the end of the day, they'll find that, um, you know, you're more effective by being graceful and influential yeah. and diplomatic than, you know, by trying to be a bully or defensive or angry. Exactly. I mean, we, I like to inspire other people to lead and I know you do as well. So, you know, so anyway, maybe I went off on a tangent, but that's been an interesting thing for me, just kind of being in the media and being a person of influence and accepting that that's what I that's what I do. So just accept it. Stop second classing myself. Mm-hmm. That's something I learned in childhood. Uh, and it's not okay. It's not attractive and it doesn't get me anywhere. And it, and it's false humility. I don't mean it to be because I really come from this, a lot of times this second class citizen kind of place, but stepping into leadership is, um, is also, you know, not, not having those conversations and seeing myself in that light and also not allowing other people to, when I catch it, to misrepresent what I'm, what I'm doing as well and Mm -hmm. and being graceful and gracious about saying, Hey, this is, this is not okay. This is not what I'm about. So what's going on with you that they, that you're making me about that. That's, that's not okay. Yeah. Yeah, so actually, I think this conversation has kind of come full circle in that, um, you know, that's definitely uh, an example of bad coattailing, you know, it's yes. it's taking the influence and the wake that, that could be created and turning it into something that it just was not intended to be. Yes. Exactly. And that we're responsible for what we put out there. Mm -hmm. We absolutely are. Um, And if we're leading other people 
we are also responsible to some degree for what they're putting out there. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, Catherine, you close the show. What are your last thoughts on, on today? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we kind of talked about a little bit of everything. I think we did. Um, Yeah. My, my takeaways really are mostly around influence and the way that we influence or teach others to influence. I like the fact that, you know, we have the ability to model intention in our leadership. And we also have the ability to influence others to pick up that model and and carry it forward. I, I think that, you know, how we kind of funnel and present ourselves is critically important in the way that people will think it's okay to look at our wake and decide what to do with it at that point. Mm. I'm going to be thinking about that all week. The wake, the wake that you leave mm. in your path. Is it, is it, yeah, I, I, I have to ponder that one because I, I have not looked at things in that respect. So I'm 48. It's time. <laughs> So thank you so much, Catherine, for doing this show. I'm so happy we're doing it. And listeners, we will be covering many, many, many topics in relation to women in leadership. And um, and thank you, Catherine, for agreeing to go on this journey with me and our listeners. Thank you, Kristen. I appreciate your time. And uh, thanks, everybody in the listening audience. Absolutely. Thanks for another edition of Women Who Lead on Mental Health News Radio. But never without good intentions I heat up and act on my emotions Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.